Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. Not just in his home state of Mississippi, he's also out with a new album and a new book of his memoirs of the music industry. Singer, songwriter, and Meridian native Steve Forbert is performing on home turf this week, and we're delighted to have him in our studio today. Steve, good to see you. Um, tell hey, us, Marshall. Really, it's very good to see you. It's good to meet you, too. I mean, you know, you hear somebody's songs for 40 years. And then you get a chance to sit down and talk to him. Like, 40 years. I know. Can you believe that your baby's like 40 years old? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have gradually adjusted to it. Yeah, Jackrabbit Slim. I mean, it's, it's coming up on its 40th anniversary. Yep. The nice thing about reading your book, you got the new book is Big City uh, Cat, which I like. Um, I like the title because it's so much about your history on that. But the thing I liked about your book was that, you know, not only I've always liked your songs... But now I feel like I know where they came from. Well, it's about 250 pages of, of um, the way it's been. Yeah. And um, as you, you know, I elected to interview a few people through the years that have worked with me and, and get some different voices in yeah. the book, too, to kind of bridge a few gaps or, you know, maybe they remember some things I didn't remember and also give a different perspective. I thought it was brave to have, like, for instance, if you had a spat with a manager, you'd have the manager's point of view in there. And that's kind of brave. We interviewed a, pe a few people, and, and I encouraged them, or the person who was interviewing yeah. them, tell them to say whatever they want, no holds barred. Right. But let's be, let's be honest. I mean, in the end, I did the editing. And <laughs> I, right. I, could, I picked what I, you know, what yeah. we used of the manager's uh, criticisms. That's a good point. Yeah, you could you could have done all kinds of fun things with them, I guess. It, so it wasn't that risky. I, I had uh, executive producer, you know, editing. Well, the book came about in kind of a strange way because weren't you and your co-writer weren't, weren't thought about doing a play, right? Um, Terry Boyd is who helped me write the book. She is an editor and an old friend of mine, so yeah. that was great. We got to really yeah. work together a lot, and, and it, it, I couldn't have done it without her. Right. Um, but originally I was talking to a guy that runs this company, Blue Rose Music, and we were talking about a thing a lot of people are doing, which is if you've got a body of works, a catalog of songs, maybe talk about doing a, uh, let's be outrageous, Broadway, right? which is pretty ambitious play. But uh, he, he, he uh, as part of his production, had hired a girl to do a uh, treatment of it, and I spent some time with her and and I decided she would need to know something about the subject. Yeah. A few anecdotes, a little character, a little flavor of the experience, uh, particularly the New York City thing in the mid 70s. Right. So I wrote out a few things to help her uh, and then they had a falling out and she disappeared and but I looked at 15 or so pages and I thought well everybody's doing a play but Really, everybody's doing a book. <laughs> so I'll join the crowd here. <clears throat> I just finished Tommy James's book. I'd read some others. Uh, I took a shot at Chrissy Hines' book. You know, so uh, 
So I said, sure, let's just continue. I'll talk to Terry Boyd, whom I mentioned, and let's try to let's try to write a, uh, as you would say, a memoir. Well, I think it's so fascinating because you landed in New York, and we'll we'll, we'll get to all that in a minute because I really want to touch on the Meridian years too. Okay. But you got to New York at such an interesting time because I mean, here you're coming the tail end of the folk singer songwriter, and, and punk was starting, and so there's this great mishmash gumbo of style. So you never know who you were opening up for on any given night. Marshall, I wasn't a dyed in the wool folky. Yeah. I went to Greenwich Village because there was so much good history there and there was original music mm-hmm. being played there. Which is one of the reasons why you left Meridian, right? Right. I yeah. mean, I, I spent years around here. I must say I never went to Malico here in Jackson, yeah. which is really a big omission. But we, we tried a few things and even went to Atlanta once, my friend Clay Barnes and I. But nothing really took off. I published a couple of songs in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um but that was that's all I was able to to get going. So uh, I I was reading all about New York City. I didn't relate to the Eagles and the uh, that yeah. California scene, J.D. Souther. And all. Mm-hmm. It, all all these angular things from New York attracted me. Uh, the Ramones. I bought that record. That was different. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't emulate it, but I liked it. And then Patti Smith came out, which was rock poetry. I liked that. Um, so I thought maybe, maybe there's room for me up there. This is a varied scene already. And when I got there, I just, I saw a lot of things that, you know, the early shows of the group television, I, I opened for talking heads when they were still a trio. Wow. So I, so there was still a lot left to happen up there. Yeah. And, um, as I'm trying to tell you, I, I went over and auditioned at the CBGB's, uh, Country, Bluegrass, and Blues, it was stood for. CBGBs. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I was to, uh, anxious to play anywhere. Yeah. I started to say desperate to play anywhere. I guess that's true, too. So they had a stage, and they were doing original music. So I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I've tried everywhere I can, and I'll go there, too. So um, so it's in the book. Yeah. And they said, yeah, we like you. You you." You're hired for a few opening slots. I was about to say, how do you break in to that? But you just stepped up on stage and played, and you, you developed a, a following. Well, I also played in the so-called village proper scene. Kenny's yeah. Castaways opened around that time. Right. That was another original music club, and I religiously played the hoot nights, they were called, opening open mic nights, you'd call them now, at Folk City. Yeah. So that was still ongoing, still happening. There were still scores of dozens of us kids from all over the country getting up there doing two or three songs every Tuesday night. So it, it was, it was, uh, it was so much fun. I mean, I left here to do exactly that, yeah. to, to, to get into this kind of environment and to play original songs and to improve. Right. And so, um, it, it turned out fine. I think it's appropriate that you did an album uh, with Jimmy Rogers songs, mm. be- being from Meridian, of course, but I, I love the story about who taught you guitar. I tried t- some guitar with a proper teacher and learning all the chords and inversions and to read music, and it wasn't thrilling me. Um, and somebody said, well, you should take lessons from Miss Harvey. Her real name was... Uh, well, she called herself Virginia Shine, and she mm-hmm. was a songwriter and a cousin of, of Jimmy Rogers. Uh, and 
she was a mentor. She was one of those sort of uh, meridian uh, uh, organizers for, for us kids. We would take lessons from her and she would put you together with another person and give you encouragement and, and why don't you start a band with so-and-so? And I was like, well, I mean, sure, I'd love to. So she was a great kind of person. She, um, But it wasn't all that music theory and that stuff right. that didn't knock me out. It was more about learning a song and then practicing the song. And then you'd come in the next week for, a, a, I believe the lessons were an hour, and you'd play for her. And you'd start to play the songs you'd learn and decide what song you were going to learn in the next week. And that's what I'm still like today. You're still doing that. I've got the lyrics and the chords changes to Help Me Rhonda in the car right now. And oh, you know, wow. It's like, I don't need to learn Help Me Rhonda. That'd be fun. So this goes back to her and, and what I was inclined to want to do anyway. That's what the thing I do like about you, because I think, you know, you had a really big hit toward the, the end of the 70s. And I think some people that had big hits in the 70s and the 80s now are in the casino circuit playing the same songs over and over and over. You're out writing original music. That's as good as what you wrote back 40 years ago. Well, at the risk of sounding pretentious, I'm an artist. Right. And so are you. Um, and so that's what it's about to me. Yeah. Um, I've, I was always a by the time I was 17, I started writing songs two or three a week, and I've just been working in, in that form ever since. I don't write two or three a week I anymore. To say, but gosh, 17 years old and have that kind of discipline to sit down and write, start but writing it, it, songs. It was easy. Well, what lit your fire? I mean, which band? Because I, I was trying to think, you know, you, you the Beatles, the, Where to begin? the Birds. I mean, there was a lot of really great songs that I could see would influence your style. I came up listening to... Uh, just to pick an example, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time. Mm. That one album by Simon and Garfunkel yeah. is uh, is completely inspirational. It was followed by Bookends, and that was maybe more inspirational. But but that that was really kind of a uh, uh, Parsley, Sage was a great folk rock album. Yeah, and there are even some folk rock parodies on that album. I'm making fun of Bob Dylan, for yeah. example, but I just learned so much from that, and it was a great template. Um, it had, I think it had Homeward Bound on it, but it certainly had Parsley Sage. No, it didn't, but it had Parsley Sage and great songs. Stop me. No, that's fine. That's you what know, we're here for. And, you, you know, you, you have everything from a guy that came out in the 70s named David Ackles, was a very obscure songwriter. Um he never, he was a good songwriter that I, I bought his record and checked out his talent, you know, all the way to the early records of Elton John, songs yeah. like Good Old Country Comforts or, um, you, that Rod Stewart, you know, Rod doesn't get much credit for being an Americana artist, but he was at one time, um, the Rod in the Faces had a, or he went disco. Yeah. Before he went disco or, or, or it was a big pop success. Yeah. Um, Maggie May just blew my mind. Yeah. It's a great record and still is. But there, the bar was really high, so that's that's what, as you said, lit, lit my fire. I could imagine. I mean, you know, Paul Simon writing Sound of Silence when he's 21 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the kind of vision of a 50-year-old. I'm just amazing. So you were, like I said, there was just this great soup of great songs. Most people do their best work before they're 26. Yeah. Um, I believe the Beatles were celebrating Paul's 26th birthday during the 
making of some magical mystery tour. Right. It's like, wow, really? You know, um, so the, the real challenge is you say that Paul Simon wrote that song when he was only 21, but that's kind of the way it goes. Right. There's one on Parsley Sage about a, a married couple, the dangling conversation. I don't know how he wrote that song. <laughs> Maybe he saw a movie or something yeah. or a play in New York City. But for a person under 25 to write that song about a, a stale marriage and a couple of uh, people right. who have little to say to each other sitting in their parlor or their living room, you know, but see, that's the norm. Right. right. Uh, to... Uh, to keep it up is, the, is, is to write those kind of 50-year-old things or 60-year-old points of view when you're 60 is, is really hard. You literally, this huge flair, uh, Romeo's tune was huge. You were suddenly traveling around the world. Um, and then you hit a major, major career roadblock when you got into some legal issues with, yeah. with the label. And not really to bemoan that a little bit, but I've heard you talk about that whole experience, and it was probably one of the best views of something like you were saying you 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 felt like everything was kind of a block but in a way that happening to you kind of allowed you to reset didn't it it did and we're talking long term here we're, right we're, we're, you and i are talking now in terms of this is 40 years and right i have the book out and uh, the, i'm very proud of the new record which is called the magic Tree. which is wonderful by the way and i like thank the you. song magic tree too which i think is a really good song well thank you um but you see um the time, the time when I wasn't allowed to record, which was from about 84 to 88. That's insane. Four years. Right. But you yeah. see, I'd done one, two, three, four records and recorded a fifth one in, in, um, in four years. Wow. That, that's enough to cause burnout. It could. Yeah. Um, and so when I had to sit on the sidelines, I just kept writing and I just kept playing because I had enough of a reputation to right. to get around and play clubs and all, which I was perfectly happy with. Right. And there was plenty of inspiration there. And uh, it was frustrating, but it was also, it did give me a chance to just keep writing. And by the time I came back, I wasn't just knocking out 10 songs a year and making a record just methodically or, or as a you know, uh, treadmill kind of thing. So that that was good. Uh, I was joking a little bit earlier, just judging your tour schedule, and you're on the road a lot. You're, yeah. you're a road warrior. I said, you better not own a fish or a dog or a plant. Right. Because they'd all be dead. They wouldn't fare too well. No. Uh, not, you know, <clears throat> cats can be pretty independent, but not that independent. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but that's, yeah, a, yeah it's real. but it's, it's, I mean, it's almost your oxygen in a way because you can get out there, you can you can meet the crowds, you can sell CDs, and I mean, that's that's kind of the way you keep things going. Yeah, and you get used to being able to get away. Um, to quote Flannery O'Connor, I've I've got a I finally got a place I can always get away in, or something like that. You know, you get you get used to being somewhere and then going to another place and just. You know, right. moving. In fact, we were just talking about a song called Moving Through America, which is yeah. about a trip moving through the Midwest a couple of winters ago. Literally sort of like a little daily journal of the yeah. tour. But that that's part of it, too. It's, mm -hmm. it's great to... What I'm doing, <clears throat> it's not, like you said, a, 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 
a, a casino act doing six hits and right. a few more things to keep the audience and see you next show, which starts at seven tonight. Right. But you get the buffet. Yeah, you get the buffet, maybe yeah. crab claws. Yeah, maybe. But, um, but no, this is more of um, <clears throat> just in the sense of what we've been talking about. It's an, it's, it's decades of, um, it's observing and it's very down to earth. Mm-hmm. It's very organic. And so, yeah, it, it keeps me going and it, 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 um, the people that come to the shows really want to be there. I relate to them, you know, um, and we have a lot in common. Uh, they've probably been listening for a long time and they want to buy the book and they'll relate to some things. They've gone through the same decades. So it's a very personable sort of thing. You talk about being an artist. I mean, like I said, listening even to the to the magic tree, you can tell that you truly love your craft, and the, and the fact that you get to go out and still practice it is a blessing. Yeah, yeah. You, one of the stories from the book, and I, and I love this. This is in the, the '70s. Everything's hit big. You're traveling. You're across. You're you've, you've become a big deal. So you're over in Amsterdam, and you run into some right. folks from from Meridian. Mm-hmm. I always said Mississippi has two degrees of separation. But tell that story because it's 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 wonderful. Well, it's it's in the book, but uh, you know people go to Amsterdam. It's a it's a uh, you know very famous tourist spot. So a dentist from Meridian and his wife had gone to Amsterdam right. as, as people do, and they saw my name on a poster and they thought this is that Steve Forbert that you know yeah. that we know, and so they went by the show and of course it was, and mm-hmm. they came by to say hello, but. It was, you know, it was quite a, um, it was like shaking up a snow globe. You know, I could see the, the snow was flurrying all right. over. Like, what, how, why? How, how did, did this happen? How did this happen? You know, so it was a funny thing. And, um, you know, they, I'd had no contact with them for so long, and they didn't know anything about the music business. They right. They weren't keeping up with me. It's kind of funny. That was funny. But I just love the fact they were like, they were completely yeah. like, <laughs> you know, trying to make that connection on that. You'd mentioned Elton John earlier, and before we started, before we started taping, you you told me a pretty funny story about Elton John, and I think that's one that I want you to get to share again because I just had a salad, so I think this is where this. Oh, let's don't do it. Oh, you don't. Okay. Well, well, we don't have to. Yeah. But, okay. Well, I'll just kind of. I don't want to embarrass uh, Sir Elton, but I'm sure he'll be he watching. Was about, He's constantly glued to Mississippi. He really television. is. He loves the show. I, yes. you know, I get notes from him all the time. So we better so. be careful. That's true. But he, there was there was an awkward moment. He had something in his teeth, so I'll just say that. Yes, his teeth. Yes, but but where I was really truly going with that was, how was there ever a moment when you were sitting there looking at him, going, "I grew up on your songs. You influenced me, and here I am sitting here talking to you, and I know you." That had to be surreal. Well, honestly, I was lucky enough to have quite a bit of that, and um, you know, I had. If you will, I had earned it. I'd, yeah. I'd rolled the dice and gone through a lot myself to get there and um, had made up some. The first two records were well received and yeah. I, I just, it was blood, sweat, and tears. Right. So I didn't feel uh, just uh, awestruck because, and, and I had met him in New York before then, yeah. before I opened shows for him in Europe in 92. But I got to meet a lot of people that, uh, you know, had been uh, influences yeah. and all. It's, it's, there's a, a, a couple of pages in the book about 
meeting Tim Harden, the songwriter who wrote uh, Reason to Believe and If I Were a Carpenter. Yeah. um, I believe that's correct, yeah. And some other things. uh, I met him in Greenwich Village really early on, like the second week I got there. So there was there was some of that. There was a lot, you know. Yeah, you met Cindy Lauper early on too, yeah. and that turned out to be ended up being a little neat footnote in your career. Yeah, that's the one most of your viewers might be able to actually get a grip on because that's that's one of the most played videos of all time. Yeah. Girls just want to have fun, but um, and here you are popping up in it. Yeah, what happened was. Being a music fan and, and, and living in New York City, I, I saw her group, Blue Angel, yeah. and I saw them play. I used to go down the Jersey Shore a lot for fun to get away from it all and get out of the city, and they were playing down there a lot. And so I met her, and I thought she was a dynamite vocalist, and she had kind of a throwback style initially, kind of a, almost reminiscent of Brenda Lee. So she knew I was a fan, and yeah. I had done some singing on stage with Blue Angel, and so when she made her video in her solo career, she asked me to be in it, and I said, sure. So that's what happened. That's fun. That's really kind of fun. It's a neat thing for you probably, you know, look back. Hey, that's what I looked like back in 1980-something, so. Yeah. Um, MTV, I had, yeah. I had no idea. that MTV wasn't that big yet at that yeah. time, and and no one had ever heard of Cindy Lauper, but it's 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 probably one of the top five videos yeah. of, of, of airplay. How's it feel to be back home? Oh, it's always good. It kind of seeps into your, uh, your consciousness or your bones kind of like, oh yeah, I'm used, this is, this is the atmosphere I grew up with. And yeah. I can feel a level of not just familiarity and it, and comfort zone, you know? Yeah. The, have you been to the max, the new museum over Meridian yet? I have not been in it yet. It's actually nice. They've, they've done a really good job with it. I'm sure there's probably going to be a, an exhibit on you in there. I'd That'd imagine. be nice. That'd be nice. I uh, want to say compliments again, though, on Big City Cat. And, Thank you. And congratulations on that. I highly recommend it. Anybody wants to just really, if they love music and they want to know. Because I think your career truly is what any young musician needs to study to understand the highs and the lows and, and the persistence and truly, like you said, what it's about. It's about the art. Well, Marshall, honestly, I did have that in in mind with this book. It wasn't, that was one of the things I wanted to do was to write a, a true account of, uh, um, I don't know what's a typical scenario in the music business. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's every, every case is different. Uh, the movie on Queen is real popular right yeah. now. You know, that's a different story. But this is one that I would like to think could wind up in college libraries or uh, school libraries and, um, a person trying to do this could read this and learn, although it's always a different time and what have you, times change. But I think there's some basic things in here that are worth, you know, studying. It's, it's, a, it's an honest account. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and join us today. Gosh, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Moving, moving. I ain't got time to stop moving. Off the roof of my car Yeah, I'm going somewhere And I'm going pretty far Reynoldsburg, Ohio In the middle of the night 
I should have left this morning, should have drove it in the light with semi-trailers passing. I'm struggling to keep up and I'll buy some time with fast food and I guess another cup and move, move through America. America, feel the heartland flow. Fort Wayne, Indiana is a railroad junction town. You always got a freight train roaming somewhere close around. I lie down trying to listen with an overloaded mind. Let the locomotive take me somewhere back in time. of neon selling liquor beer and wine cocktail from the 50s with an olive in a glass an all-day-long suggestion that keeps flashing as you pass what's made milwaukee famous is a hidden old green bay and stevens point wisconsin would agree with what they say and move Marshall Ramsey, thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.